the continuation of our Jurassic Park episode. Remember, everything's shit, and in this episode, everything's doomed and shit. Welcome to the Spoiler Podcast, and today, myself, my co-host Dakota, we're going to be reviewing Melancholia in celebration of Earth Day. It's actually kind of coincidental, but I went to, I visited my college town, Oshkosh, and one of the stores there was having like Earth Day sales and stuff, so I got a free t-shirt from them. So y'all can just check out Satori Imports if you live in the area. They're a pretty cool company and they're like local. And unfortunately, uh, their branch in Madison, their sister uh, store in Madison had to close down recently is what I heard. Um, but Satori is the original. Um, uh, they're you know, established 1969 downtown Oshkosh. Uh, they do still have the one down in Milwaukee. Kind of a bummer, but free advertising. Go see them. Uh, there's Satori Imports downtown Oshkosh. Melancholia came out in 2011, which was just a couple years, I believe, after Antichrist. Stars Kirsten Dunst, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Kiefer Sutherland, Stellan Skarsgård, Alexander Skarsgård. The movie basically starts with this very kind of artistic super slow-mo, which he had done some of this in Antichrist. Yeah. yeah. But he really he really turned it up a notch as far a as lot like longer, at least. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um in in Melancholia, because like this is like the easiest thing to spoil because the beginning of the movie is also the end of the movie. We begin when the planet Melancholia behind me colliding in Earth, the end of the world. So from the very beginning of the movie, the audience knows how it how that portion of things end. Well, I if you know Lars von Trier, then you can probably assume it's gonna be the worst possible ending. <laughs> Otherwise, it's it's very surrealist and there probably maybe is some doubt. I mean it's very surreal and hallucinatory almost. I I remember uh, that my first introduction to like Melancholy was Psy sent me like a trailer. And he was just like, what the fuck has happened to indie film? Because like it starts off as like kind of like a marriage drama. And then like Kristen Dunst has energy roots coming out of her fingertips in the trailer. He's just like, what the fuck is this? But I watched around uh, Thanksgiving of 2011. So it hadn't come out on home video yet. So, you know, um, but uh, I, I really loved it. And then in the course of his work, they what they do, this is super depressing. So they'll destroy DVDs and Blu-rays, right? If they can't sell them. Just, but because he takes care of the mentally disabled and, um, you know, the, the older, whatever, elderly. Well, I mean, so they'll give free Blu-rays away. And what he's able to do is kind of salvage some of those Blu-rays and DVDs for free. But I mean, they literally destroyed these things. And that was part of his job was digging through the pile that they're going to destroy and picking out movies. They destroy it all. And I'm like, God, that's the most tragic shit I've ever heard of, you know? It's just, oh. that's just sounds just fucking wasteful as fuck. Like speaking of like just destroying things and it almost makes more sense in this case than the Blu-ray side yeah. of things. But like when COVID happened and basically the meat processing plants and everything were still, they had to like cut their staff by like 90%. Yeah, I heard about that where they just couldn't, like the logistics of it didn't work out. Yeah. yeah so, so basically like they were, they just killed way more animals than, yes. than, than they processed because these big corporate farms can only have to like intake and outtake at the same rate and right. the consistency like that's like the that is the economy of things that is just like set up within that you know sort of system of you know goods to food to animals to birth right. to well, like i mean that's yeah that's a, logistics are complex and like people always fail to factor that in so it's like 
you know, just because you have something doesn't mean you can get it to the people that need that something. But it's also not like Blu-rays like go bad. Like, you know what? Yeah, it's a stupid, right. It's a stupid thing where it's like they, they can't give them away for freeze. So they're left with no other recourse than to destroy them. Because if otherwise, I suppose people would just go, well, I'll wait until it's fucking free and they can't sell off the remaining copies, you know? But um, so, yeah, God, I mean, it's just tragic to me. I do, do get do it. They, do they at least reuse the cases and then just... No, it all, I think it just all goes into a recycling heap, you know, and they, they yeah. So melt it down or I don't... So, or trash. Uh, just I mean, tra- Just, yeah, like a landfill, like... I think so, yeah. And it just fucking hard. I know. That's but they true. have to, like, physically destroy them before it goes into the landfill because otherwise people would loot them i think is how that goes i'm like god i'd be one of those people i don't care if i get crushed by some giant magnet i'd be in that fucking landfill digging up all the fucking blu-rays just just when the world is like uh fucking uh the road yeah (laughs) completely what i would do i mean the water's no good anyway i guess yeah shut up kid I got, I got fucking melancholy on Blu-ray. It's a fucking masterpiece. Shut up. But so, yeah, we have this very like abstract kind of super slow-mo of the world ending. Uh, there's birds falling out of the sky, which I don't think a lot of this movie, we have to like suspend like the science nitpicks. If the planets are that close and melancholia looks at least 20 times bigger than Earth. Right, it's like Jupiter or some so, shit. You know, or some. Which planet's gravity just starts taking over and do the birds fall upward towards melancholia? Yeah, I didn't think of that. That would, yeah, that could happen. That, that part doesn't bother me so much, but the uh, the part I am a little bit questioning is, oh, it was hidden behind the sun. Well, at least once a year, you're going to be on the other side of the right. sun. Like... Maybe Lars von Trier really thinks the Earth is the center of the universe, though. Well, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. It's called like the axis of evil, right? Where in all of the universe, there's, I got this is so many years ago, but there are people who believe that as absolutely unlikely as it is that the Earth is actually the center of the universe and it is the axis of evil. It fits into the melancholia thing. That's what it sounds like. I'm not sure what's all in that, but... You know, but I think for, like, this whole thing feels like a clinical depressive fantasy version where where everything is affirmed, you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of how I take this movie, you know? Like, like, yeah, what if if all your, well, delusions of of apocalypse were confirmed, you know? Then, like, yeah. Uh, and then and then, and then and then it turns out that you know all your ambitions and hopes and aspirations were the delusion right <laughs> right uh, <laughs> um, yeah so that's kind of what this movie's about it's it's pretty depressing but before we really get into it just want to remind you guys to check out the spotify if you're watching on youtube and check out the youtube if you're listening on spotify because both are good for different reasons. Definitely our earliest videos are probably best on Spotify because um, our audio is always oh. pretty good. Um, but, you know, sometimes the internet was really bad. But there were moments that do rely kind of on a visual element. So, you know, but I think people would understand that listening to it. You know, Yeah, so. and we do have some educational bits every now and then. But anyway, part one is titled Justine. And there's only two parts in this Lars von Trier film. There's only two chapter titles, really. I like. I don't yep. think he uh, introduces the prologue as prologue. You know, like it's just Justine and Claire. You yeah, know? and he doesn't call he doesn't call it an epilogue. It's just you know the end is just still Claire. Right. Um, the movie really begins with a limo backing up. Um, Justine and we we learn their names later on, but Justine and Michael had just been married, so they're in their just got married limo, and the limo's backing up. And at first, uh, Michael's kind of annoyed, and she's a little bit annoyed, but she starts like thinking it's really funny because like a certain like element of chaos or 
imperfection in the world on her most perfect day or whatever right. like shows up but like she can't stop laughing and it's honestly one of the happier scenes we see her in the entire movie is when mm-hmm. the thing that go goes out of plan you know what i mean no yeah you so you're definitely catching on to like the the only other moment i can think of at least during the wedding where she legitimately smiles or laughs is when he decides to swig i think it's crown royal you know mm-hmm. uh and and because yeah because yeah yeah because she takes like she swigs some crown royal and like i think some people see her and like it looks like oh she's drinking right. a lot like oh she's not happy she's gonna go crazy but he follows it up actually they don't have they, they don't have a good marriage but i don't he's michael's definitely not a villain no um and like you know that like a lot of people around her do sympathize with her she has a history of depression it's brought up vaguely at the beginning and maybe like that's a, it's really ambiguous but i think for me the moment where that became apparent was she was like well what did you expect i mean you know uh behavior like this probably doesn't manifest itself out of the blue so although this is kind of the first we're seeing as the audience it's it's highly unlikely that there were you know other episodes kind of like this and so it's really the only real connection i can think of in that whole marriage sequence which goes on for a very long time that they legitimately have you know because yeah, it, is and it, it is kind of sweet because like he drinks even more and makes a bigger fool of himself and right. you could you could kind of tell like maybe he's done like like you said like maybe maybe not like in a big wedding or something but maybe he's done something like that at a restaurant if she got upset or something you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh like how they live how they live with you know depression i suppose like yeah right. how the melancholia her sister is named Claire, and she's played by Charlotte Gainsbourg, who's been an Antichrist, Nymphomaniac. She was kind of uh, Lars von Trier's muse for like at least three movies. She's very, uh, I don't know, I'm very good, you know, so. Um, yeah, and they seem to work well together, her and yeah. Lars von Trier. Kirsten Dunst, I know, like she, she had said that she had like a fine working relationship with him. I mean, it's not across the board, like, you know, but he's definitely had a complicated history with his actresses in the past, to say the least, I would say. He's a problematic asshole. (laughs) I I mean, I know it's cliche, but he does seem to be actress oriented. Like, I mean, where he gives these amazing roles to to women and they, they lead the movie, you know? But yeah, one thing I wanted to point out really quick is that like, the kid like the like justine's nephew uh, like in lars von trier movies there always seems to be a little boy that i feel like is like a subconscious like him where and it seems kind of obvious and like this and he's always a little creepy too uh in this movie he like immediately gifts kirsten dunst's character a knife like you creepy fuck well, I mean, well, I, I don't they use that dagger to cut down, you know, sort of those the, those trees or whatever later I think on. So, yeah, and she's so, on steel breaker, and this is probably some some kind of history they have. But and so this party is going on. Also, John Hurt plays uh, Justine's mo- or Justine's father. His character's name is Dexter, and he's just kind of like more of like a silly kind of fun dad type that doesn't really have ambition or any like this really doesn't have a worry in the world type. Um, like he plays a joke on the waiters by like shoving spoons in his pocket and oh. continues to ask, ask for spoons and they keep giving him spoons. Let's just see how, how much he can get away with. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was just a good device just to quickly be like, Hey, this is what, you know, this is what the upbringing was like. And then like all the toasts, in this wedding party are like super toxic dexter makes a toast for you know his beautiful daughter blah blah blah, and then in the middle of the toast starts talking shit about his ex-wife she retaliates yeah yeah it's it's it's, you know and then later you know claire is like oh don't make a scene i'm like oh god you could make a bigger fucking scene than the scene that was made between the parents you know that's a good point Yeah, yeah that she wasn't even being that big like like and claire is also like kind of this perfectionist sort of 
structured thinker where, mm-hmm. you know, you want to get married and you want to do this, you want to do that. Yeah, want to have nice things. You want to have a really perfect wedding. She's fully bought into kind of the illusion of life, I suppose. But we see that the mother, because their parents are really different because their mother is doesn't believe in marriage, but she also believes in structure. So like you can definitely see that Claire took up a lot from her in that way like she believes in ambition she believes human things matter like that um that's how i remembered but like i i see i like looking at her i'm like how the fuck did you ever survive any kind of aristocratic lifestyle because she's so she seems so adverse to that at every turn throughout the movie Oh, I think it's more like she may have changed her mind after having been divorced from the Dexter. Well, yeah, well, and he even seems more like, I don't know if he's like kind of the uh, starving artist, free lunch type, you know, or something mm-hmm. like, uh, but he, he seems even more unstable. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. You know, the parents are just a fucking nightmare. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't I, yeah, so it's not like a, a big shocker when uh, Justine starts to kind of, you know, spiral or whatever you call it. So, uh, Jack, who is played by Stellan Skarsgård, who plays Alexander Skarsgård, who are real life father and son. He's the groom's father, but he's also Kirsten Dunst's uh, Right, yeah, boss. no, it's like that. So that, that's what I wasn't sure. Like, I, I thought he, he must be, but... The way he talks throughout that whole, like, I mean, like his nephew, he has like no regard for, you know? Yeah. And so, that, yeah. Um, That's actually pretty funny at times. Right. Her parents are fighting. My, Michael's dad is basically not really like, he's complimenting her or whatever, but it's about like, oh, what good a worker you are. Here's a promotion. Here's this. Here's that like materialistic kind of things or whatever. Even with, you know, when your life is supposed to be perfect, like depression doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? She's getting married. She has a, a promotion to a job that we assume she likes because uh, it's like an artistic outlet, at least. Well, hard, hard, I mean, well, hardly. Uh, we, we see kind of an artistic image, but it's it's marketing, which is about as yeah. soulless as it could fucking possibly get. So, well, you know, uh, that, that, that's the sad truth. Is a bunch of uh, artistically minded people get, get thrown through the ringer of advertising. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything more lifeless. But Yeah, and you're right. It is kind of weird that like right after these scenes where their parents make like these like kind of conflicts, right after this, like Justine like is feeling like you know having like an episode and then walks away from the dinner from the dinner and claire's like just don't don't make any scenes (laughs) so yeah that is kind of weird that like right after that happened claire was like don't make any scenes well and i mean she says i'm not doing anything but she's like you know uh well you know what i mean you know that definitely implies that this has happened before like she knows where this is going you know and um and Justine was late. They both were like two hours late, but that, that was because of the limo. Yeah, but that becomes throughout the wedding. You know, she becomes late through for a lot of the events. But Justine just goes away to uh, get away from it all. And I don't know the dynamics of peeing in a wedding dress in a bathroom, but it almost seems easier to do it at a golf course. So, uh I, that there could be some truth to that uh, scene of just like squatting down in the middle of a co- golf course and making it happen. But regardless, she's sick of it. And she looks at the stars and she kind of gets like a sort of vibe with a star that we, ex- that is kind of alluded to earlier. That's like distant, but moving in some way or uh, right. appearing uh, to be larger. Yeah, but they do give a name to it, and that changes to melancholia. But I don't understand why. Uh, but yeah, well, well, so okay. Well, I think they think it was a different star, but it was actually a planet that they hadn't known about or something. So then they gave it a new name. I don't know. Right. Oh, boy. 
Well, well, you know, I mean, things happen like that where you have your kind of scientific name and then you have your general name, you know. Oh, right. That's true. And then uh, Michael Toasts, uh, it's a, like a pretty sweet, like, groomed toast or whatever. Seems honest enough. Kirsten Dunst is obviously great throughout this movie, and I think it's the best she's ever been in a movie that I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that goes without saying, but I, but I will quick mention that uh, the supporting cast, like Charlotte Gainsbourg and, and both of the Skarsgårds are very good. So yeah, Michael Toasts, they dance, they seem to have a good time, but she's kind of just putting on the facade. Even after like that dance and everything, she puts the kid to bed, that oh, same yeah. kid. And when she, and she like falls asleep in the chair next to the kid. And I thought, fo- I thought it was really clever because uh, Claire walks in and is like, you should be at your wedding. When really uh, Justine is t- taking care of her son more than Claire is, you know what I mean? Yeah, that comes up towards the tail end of the film. Yeah, yeah, no, right. She's too kind of in her head of like, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that. Uh, That like she doesn't see what's right in front of her. Like that does, like you said, come into play later on in the movie. Right. And after she puts the kid to bed, um, it's more and more obvious that Justine is depressed so she takes a bath and that's kind of established as like one of her comforts like she would probably always use that to meditate and just chill and take a bath uh and the funny thing is Gabby is Gabby the uh her mother is bathing too at the same time in a different room and John Kiefer Sutherland is like mad that shit's not going well and he paid a lot of money for this wedding and he's knocking on all the doors and none of them will come out Right. That's brought on throughout uh, John's character. He's, he's always worried about the most, pra- he's even more practically concerned than uh, Claire and the others. Cause like, he's just, he's all about like, how much is this going to cost? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, very calculating. He's a curious mind, but he's also like calculating in a kind of an overly structured way. I would, su- I suppose. Sure. He like throws uh, Gabby's stuff out of the, out of the, out of the mansion or whatever it is, and immediately behind them comes like an usher of some type or like a waiter of some type to pick it up. Like this kind of shit happens all the time. Right. Yeah, well, we hear that later with uh, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. I think. No, maybe it is Justine. That yeah, you're, John tries to throw the mother out all the time you know mm-hmm. you can imagine why I mean, she's, she's insanely problematic um but yeah john also says to justine at some point in the kind of a like uh side room or whatever you should be happy i, I but his first oh, reasoning God. is not it's not like you should be happy for you it's like you should be happy i paid so much money for this and it all comes I back mean, to money. It all comes back to how she serves them. And I think that just like plunges her further and further into her depression. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that seems to be the big thing. I mean, the wedding goes on for quite a long time, uh, probably the larger half of the movie. And, and I mean, you get the sense that it's like, it's supposed to be about her, but it's really not about her at all. You know, the, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's life. You know, but it, it seems to be really honing in on that, that the kind of the absurdity of that, that this is her big day, but it's not her day at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, right, so, um, yeah, and it just kind of hits that and hits that and hits that until she really starts to go over the, the edge uh, towards the later half of the uh, wedding. And then Jack introduced, you alluded to him earlier, introduced him to Tim, who is Jack's nephew. Uh, he has little regard for her, despite that. Yep, he has very little regard for her. He's like, I just hired him, and if he doesn't get a tagline from you tonight, right. he's, fu- he's fired. So he's going to follow you around. 
head. It's just so it's just such a creepy, weird thing to do. As like being like a boss and everything, like I, I just it <laughs> just well, that, that's one of the weirder dynamics in the movie. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, you see that guy kind of carry that out. I mean, just mm-hmm. how awkward it is, you know. But after that's introduced, uh, Justine has like has a fight with Claire, in which Claire also at also says you should be happy. Why aren't you happy? And uh, Justine says, I'm trying. Like, th- this is her trying to be happy and trying to, you know, control herself for this night. But, you know, it's it's too much for her, basically. And she goes to confide in her mother. So, like, in three scenes in a row, she sees, like, three or four people that just have the worst possible reaction to her. Right. <laughs> Because, yeah. like, the mother's like, stop dreaming. Like, you're not depressed. Just stop, like, basically, like, pick, your, pick yourself up by your bootstraps type of shit. Like, or, like, or, like, just kind of almost more of, like, fuck off-ish, though. But it, it, it's so, uh, it's sort of almost a thing, you, you know, in my ear where it's like, you know, oh, just, just go do, do whatever you want. But, I mean, it's not tremendously useful, you know, at that point in time, you know, the, the whole thing mean, is actually it's probably the least useful time in the world for, you know, just fuck off and do your own thing. Right. I mean, you can kind of see the, the, yeah, the, the residual effects of, you know, being the uh, well, she has two cool parents. Right. You know, the one who just is like, yeah, fuck off and do your own thing. And then you have John Hurt, who's like, I love you, sweetie, but, you know, fuck off and leave me alone. So, you know, I mean, it's like it's, it's like kind of a combination of those two and yeah you know and then and then her husband who like you said isn't isn't bad but just kind of misreads the timing of things and doesn't quite have it all you know i mean yeah he's he's not the most emotionally intelligent but he spent so much time with her that he can at least kind of subsides some of the some of the big depression waves with like comedy or whatever um right but you know making a goof of himself and all that uh but yeah he's not a psychologist by any means and he doesn't you know realize that the marriage itself is like a bad idea and that like it's like a corporate marriage almost more with like that could have been almost more motivated by. Well, there's that, but you also throughout the the film, you know, the most people uh, have to say really is, you know, Justine's incredibly gorgeous. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful, and he, you know, probably overlooks a lot of those problems and try to make, you know, tries to make it work, but ultimately it falls apart, and you, you, you know, you, you can't really fault him. But you know, I think there's that final line where you know she says what did you expect and it's like well yeah i mean that's he tries too hard to grab onto something that's clearly uh pretty uncontrollable and yeah collapses but i i don't know you know and there's even like some weird expressions of like kind of what's also going on in the movie because like they set off these little like hot air balloons one out of like every eight of them burn to the ground and that's symbolic maybe a little bit of like how people how some of them can like have their aspirations uplift uplift them or have their like ideas of love uplift them throughout like their entire life and then some people are like fuck no it's bullshit (laughs) and they just you know like you know yeah yeah it's just it's like a tiny symbol like it's not a big deal but like i think it it, i think that is kind of the thought going into it maybe uh or at least just the expression of an imperfection at the wedding and yeah and pissing claire off more i guess it's a lot like our our kind of our jurassic park video you know and in terms of like there's the big plan and then there's everything working against that, you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what we plan or, you know, our ceremonies and practices and whatever, you know, like nature, which is, I think Lars von Trier again and again makes kind of the case that is evil, doesn't really have any regard for our plans, you know, like it doesn't really care. 
And then, like, they're even about to, like, have, like, their wedding night together and start to have sex, but she can't, like, connect emotionally and asks him to stop, and they eventually stop, and, like, she gets... Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate, because he probably got a little too drunk to really register what she needed, you know, is kind of the sense. Yeah, again, the emotional intelligence, and, you know, a lot, like you say, a lot of that could be just him being too drunk. But yeah, and she immediately walks out and goes to get some air at the golf course again. And then Tim is following her because Tim's been following her all day, right. all he night. To, and then, and then, and then she just fucks him because it's almost like it's almost like she feels like everything around her is so artificial that she wants to prove that to herself. Where it's like, see, like I can fuck anyone I want on my like wedding night. like that's how artificial this wedding is that's how artificial like fucking life is like that's yeah no i i mean i think i think the central idea whatever whatever happens throughout this whole wedding ceremony which which goes on for like probably the larger half of the film is that, that there is order and ceremony and plans and there's chaos and and spontaneity and that is time and again what she responds to and right yeah i mean throughout the course of this wedding it, it grows gradually more and more extreme so i mean there, there's a scene where she rearranges all the books in that room which later in the the, the clearer half of the film she falls asleep in that room which is like uh disorder embodied you know because she mm-hmm. opened all the pages of the books to random well obviously random pages and switched them all around and the limo, that's what she gravitates to, like the sponta- spontaneity of the limo driver. Yeah, sucking. actually, now that you mentioned, yeah, I mean, she seemed genuinely happy, you know, that it was something that didn't go to, uh, according to plan, you know? Yeah, and then, you know, she kind of, she always, like, gravitates and, like, wants melancholy to happen. Um, She basically tells off Jack, so her boss, uh, her husband's dad, mm-hmm. uh, she basically tells him off that like he's a despicable person that only cares about money and blah 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 blah. You only care about your power. Yeah, because he's um, trying to leverage Tim throughout the whole thing. Like if, if Tim doesn't get that tagline out of you, he's gonna lose his job. Although in all likelihood, Tim's probably gonna lose his job anyway. Just you know, because he's just there as a tool. You know. Yeah. yeah. And and her saying that ends the marriage really, because. She doesn't actually have a breakup scene with Michael. It's just like the end is just kind of like, oh, my dad's leaving and I got to go with him because you pissed him off. Yeah, and that would certainly be an awkward position. But I mean, um, but I think there's just a general sense of, of decline throughout the whole marriage ceremony too. That he's That's kind true. Of- yeah. Uh, and so- then the way the wedding night ended and everything. Uh, so yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's just such an artificial marriage and she sees right through it and he says things could have been different and she said yeah they could have been but what did you expect so what to me that implies it's not immediately obvious what that means but to me it's like well I, again this behavior didn't manifest itself out of the blue he's probably encountered this before and if that's the case, then yeah, I mean, this is probably only ever going to go the way it did. I, I don't think it's a singular episode, you know. Um, I think he was trying to grab onto something because it was above what he could, you know. He wanted to feel like he could fix her or or it could just all work out, but... And it's clear it doesn't really mean anything to her, you know, it's, it's all, you know, so... And in relationships, people constantly try to like go into it, trying to fix each other when really it's sure. like, all right, you, you can either live with their faults or you can't. I feel like, like you're not going to, I don't know how much people actually change each other. Well, they, they don't, but, I, but yeah. they also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, well, that's my point. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> Tim hits on Justine another time and it's even almost funny because it, He's just like, well, I see that you're out of a job and you don't have a husband anymore. So why well, I can't today? blame him for trying. I mean, this is obviously uh, uh, that that I guess I guess that's his only time to shoot that shot, but also maybe I don't know, read the room. 
but it, yeah, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. But at the same time, I mean, you have a, a similar scene. immediately before that with her husband, you know, who, she's like, what did you expect? And, you know, with, with this guy, you know, she's like, well, I don't think that'd be a good idea. This is all immediately obvious, but, uh, you know, and, and, and all are in agreement, you know, but it, it's, well, and there's probably something to that. I don't, I don't know how to articulate it, but it's like, you know, I mean, these are all, these are all doomed plans, you know? I yeah. mean, back to back, you know, so. Uh, Dexter leaves uh, her dad, who she seems to have a, a much better. She asks better... him to stay, but he leaves in the middle of the night, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. he's definitely probably, he's definitely not a perfect father, but uh, he's also probably a better father than uh, Gabby mother. was a mother. Um, by default, only. Right, <laughs> by by, yeah, by so. default. Uh, her and Claire ride horses and they stare at the star again and it had moved or gotten bigger and then that's the end of chapter one and I want and before we lead into the Claire thing it almost seems like the entire wedding night when she's looking at the star she's always most infatuated with seeing with like looking out in space and seeing melancholia right yeah and she's always wearing the wedding dress and she never looks at like her husband with that amazement, you know, or she never looks at her friends with that amazement. So my weird, I, my weird thought process is like, she's married to the idea of melancholia, married to the idea of death and yeah. really comes into play in act two when she's all naked and like yeah yeah bathing grooving, in the light of death and stuff, out. You like, know? Yeah. like like she oh. got she had her marriage in part one and then in part two that's the consummation and then you know like yeah. that's just my weird thought like she's married to the idea of the doom and gloom she like before even she, before she even knows it's going to be like a planet that fucking hits earth it does feel like sort of a fantasy wish fulfillment kind of thing you know where defying all of physics and all of logic that like the the most manic depressive possibility comes to be you know and mm -hmm. and she's um, the most comfortable with it at the end right so it's like <laughs> almost empowering i guess in a way you know i you mean know? it's like probably the only situation in which she can blossom Oh, so at the beginning of part two, John is having an argument with Claire. John thinks that Justine is a bad influence. You know, she's going, like, Justine's going through some episode, and she can barely even get on a taxi, so they have to call the car to take her out, per to take her over personally. We see melancholia pretty big in the sky. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, like, time, some time has passed. It's either been six months, maybe maybe a year, maybe two Justine is coming back to the mansion. It's five days until Melancholia is supposed to pass by Earth. And Justine is in like the worst shape we've seen her in. She's only sleeping. She has to be drug out of bed to eat any kind of food. She can only eat like strawberry jam with her finger. But like even like her That's favorite... Is blueberries because they're picking blueberries and that's oh, a later in the film. They first try to feed her like meatloaf, which is supposed to be her favorite, and it tastes like which if you just I, like I kind of laughed during that scene. Because, I think I mean, you're supposed to because like I did too. You because know? because like if you walk in, like if someone walks in on one of us just watching this movie and doesn't know that she's depressed or that what the movie's about. Right. And you just see Kirsten Dunst be like, meatloaf, and then spits it out. It tastes like ashes. Right. And then this, and then the kids there like, like <laughs> it's <laughs> no, there's, thought there's, about there's a very dark humor to that, to right. that scene. Uh, I'm not even sure how intentional it is, but I don't either. But I know I laughed too. I I thought about that. I'm like, I mean, I. Well, I felt that way before too, and I still find it comical. <laughs> I'm just like it just seems so ridiculous, you know. But, but yeah, but um, yeah, so that's where she's at. She can't even crawl into the bath. I'm just thinking, well, you know, buy some stairs, right? And like a little couple little stairs just to like help get her into that bath. Yeah, or like a ramp or something. But, right? but I mean, they do have those. But, but, but yeah, yeah, so like all her comforts, so like her favorite foods 
taking a bath, which always kind of mellow seemed to be like the trick to mellow her out. She can't even get into the bath. She barely put her hand in, and then and then. Well, my sister Claire, says like, again, like remember how you you know, you like baths, you know, you like this, you like that, you like me both, you know, and, and she doesn't anymore, you know. So, so and even for her history of you know manic depression or whatever exactly she has, it's not exactly displayed. It could be a combination of things. This seems really bad because all of the cure alls are still shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, nothing's work and that that's like when it's like major red flag territory kind of and the overwhelming theory is that it's going to pass right by and john pretty much embraces that because he's like oh nothing but, sh- and maybe the idea is that, that you know, people are going to be overwhelmingly inclined to whatever the more positive outcome is you know people probably aren't going to want to hear that the earth is going to be destroyed outright so um yeah. but you know and, and I mean, John is like fully embracing that. He's like, yes, nothing's going to shatter my perfect world. I have everything I want. Right. <laughs> um, but at the same time, he's also like prepping. So like he's bringing like cases of can of like canned food and wa- bottles of water. Absolutely. And like the one thing that he kind of gives Justine in this entire movie is that, hey, you're not going to tell, you're not going to tell Claire about this, right? right. And then and then she's she kind of shakes her head no or whatever and then he's like yeah, I, I mean, she doesn't react at all but i mean okay. I, I think her silence is a no but yeah either way he's kind of says like yeah uh claire claire would just worry too much about this kind of thing so it's it's almost like he knows that justine wouldn't give a fuck and would almost like embrace the chaos i feel like of like him doomsday prepping it's like the first scene that they have where they're not outright arguing or he's not being shitty though. You no, know, but I'm trying yeah, it's to acknowledgement say. of sorts, like a silent head nod, you know, that there's something to Justine. Yeah, like, yeah you know. Like he almost knows that Justine would be able to handle the apocalypse better than his wife. Yeah, well, right. And, yeah. and um which um, proves to be but <laughs> well, no, it, well, and it becomes you know like increasingly implausible where she don't see exact number of beings in the in the yeah, bottle. I wish bottom. that was established a little more in the first half. Like we always knew that she had like some sort of spiritual. Yeah, like that feels like a missing scene where, where you know because her bid was open and we never we never hear that she actually placed it. You know, so it's like I mean she could have easily heard that from somebody i mean there weren't many people left but she could have yeah in the second part it's pretty like for the viewers at maybe that ambiguity um, uh i guess that makes you like a little more believable when you get the push and pull of like is it gonna miss us or is it gonna catch us um but pretty much uh told out loud that uh justine has these powers where she's like rain man she can count shit she just well, it's more than rain now. Oh, one of the more disturbing scenes of the movie, and she just would not stop beating her horse. And this horse is supposed to be another one of her favorite things. Like, she says, like, only I can ride it. Earlier in the movie, she was like, I'm like his mistress. Only, only He only lets me ride him. And that's one of her also happiest scenes. Right. It was like that. And, uh, you know, and the other ones we've mentioned. Um, but even then, Kiefer Southern is like, well, I rode a couple times. Like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, and I think Claire wants to spare that reality. I, mean, I think the whole the whole thing by the end of it is, that, I mean, she doesn't need to be spared of reality. She's fully embraced. I mean, that's a whole idea, uh, you know. So I, I think yeah. when she sees the horse for what it is and everything else for what it is, you know, she's she's. Um, and then, so basically, I didn't say. I don't think I've said it directly yet. She like beats the crap out of the horse with the with the horse whip, like way too much i like, can't remember horse the horse actually collapsed because we saw that in the intro that the horse collapsed collapsed yeah. um it does collapse yeah it collapsed with her on it and then charlotte gainsburg was trying to wrestle the whip out of her hand and it was it was a fucked up it was one of the more fucked up scenes uh, hard to watch scenes of the movie I, it does kind of linger on that moment like it's not just a passive thing she is like continually beating it you know and, and, and there's not a lot of overt violence in this movie it's just that's kind of the scene that's like 
that's like the disturbing one and even the and even the end the ultimate violence of the earth fucking and being engulfed is just you know like white light kind of deal like you can't comprehend the level of damage that's actually done so it's yeah probably is healing sort of after the horse beating we see justine sneak out in the middle of the night and that's when she kind of has her like a wedding night of sorts with uh melancholia like she's laying out naked next to a creek um but at the very least she's having like some like an ecstasy like fueled like experience well it's it's certainly the happiest we've seen her in a number of minutes definitely in the second part yeah because right now she's only about melancholia uh the plant about to crash into her at this point, though, John is still really hyped that, like, no, nah, it's still going to miss, guys. Like, it's going to be cool. And they have, like, a little stick with the circle. I think there are about years of that. Like, like, we get a sense of absolute certainty from him, and then we get doubt. And then we do uh, the last time we see him alive in the film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty clear that he, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, because, like, well, at least I should say, like, his outward appearance is different than I think what is actually going on in his head because he is like a thinker, right? So he is curious and stuff, but like he probably just can't, he might even know, he might've even read the science and thought like, oh, that makes sense. Like it's actually going to hit earth. But but he also has the dynamic where he just cannot function probably thinking that the earth won't go on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. I mean, he's supposed to be kind of the pillar of the rock, you know, uh, upon which Charlotte Gainsbourg character is supposed to, you know, support herself. And it, it deteriorates, obviously, as the film goes on, where, you know, I mean, they have the, um, the stick and wire system, yeah. you know, and, and, and she puts everything into that. And then, you know, but by the uh, last time we see him, there's an anxiety there. And then, after that that so you know i mean and, and real quick before that we also see that like claire it like does some googling and she's she wants to do some prepping of her own the way she preps is gets some sleeping pills or some kind of pills that if you take too many of them you'll fucking die put it uh like in this lock drawer uh so that's like something that comes into play in, in a sec after she does that we get the scene with justine that I think is kind of the heart of the movie where at this point, Justine says uh, the earth is evil. It's not worth saving and it will not be missed. And then that's followed up by like Claire asking the question, like life might exist somewhere else. And then this is when Justine is like, uh, no, it doesn't. And it's like, how do you know? Well, I know things. And then like the power thing comes into play which that might honestly grow into one of my criticisms of the movie with is the power dynamic. Cause like, I feel like it's either necessary or it's not necessary. Right. And if it's necessary, you maybe, like you said, have a missing scene in the first part that, that like clues it in a little better than just looking at like a, like a seed counter or whatever, a bean, like beans or, um, but like either well, think, either have it or don't. I feel like like because it almost at the end doesn't feel nest. Like you could almost cut those scenes out at the end where it's like I know things. But yeah, I, but I think that's also sort of the point is in the face of all logic and rationality, the worst comes to pass anyway. You know, so it almost yeah. feels like it's entering into fantasy. You know, which True. I think is the point, despite everything. You know, so. Um, but I get what you're saying at the same time, you know, where, where there could have maybe been at least one scene that was missing that could have hinted at Flushed it out a little better. Yeah. And then Claire also says, like, well, wouldn't life on Earth be precious then? And then, like, if we're all alone, wouldn't life on Earth be precious? And then Justine says, like, no, life on Earth is evil. Like, it's it's a weight. Like, from from her perspective, every living thing... And it's true to varying, de- like to varying degrees. Although there are some truly like cool symbiotic relationships out there between some 
species of animal and whatnot uh is that like you know life is constantly just trying to kill itself and the most developed form of life in human beings or at least what we perceive as the most developed form of life we can either can't live with ourselves or we can't live with other people and you know what i mean it's you know right. life is evil life is self-destructive life is destructive and like the the most the highest forms of life have lead to us and if humans are this kind yeah. of miserable creatures like what's the fucking point uh antichrist i mean the whole idea there was like you know chaos reigns you know and, and the mm -hmm. faithful and the foes you know order and you know and explanation and all that it didn't really matter you know and similarly it's kind of that continues in melancholia you know, where in the face of all rationality, you know, chaos prevails. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I think it's almost a, a sort of a sympathetic view of, of that, you know, uh, con considering that triumphs over and over. And when you were talking about John's kind of back and forth where he does have some logical doubts, right, that come up, but John, just him and Claire toasts to life and it just sounds very ominous. And right. then she's, she yeah, yeah, she picks up on it and she starts like worrying about it. And he's like, well, there's some margins of air. I think it's moving away. Uh, I, it's, it's definitely moving away, but there's margins of air. Claire is really not taking the end of the world well. And this is kind of when Justine sort of kind of becomes the more secure one. Claire's breaking down and super stressed out over the end of the world. And then Justine's just emotionless and kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been ready for it. Um, Claire says like, this, ha this has to be so easy for you. And Justine's like, yeah, sometimes it is easy being me. Like, I mean, it's kind of placating, and, but, but it is also ironic. I mean, that, that Justine's, fucking useless up until the point of the end of the world in which case she's very much in her own environment you know i mean she she's uh, but that doesn't matter anyway <laughs> there's like yeah. i mean the only thing it really she does provide probably a happier few minutes for the for kid the son yeah that's that's actually one of my last points is like that seems like the one thing that kind of keeps her I'm not, I won't even say hopeful for life, but that's like her ethics, you know what I mean? Is like, she remains ethical, is, a, is an important thing about her. And then John is, uh, Claire's taking a nap the next day. It, it appears that melancholy is passing them, which again, I don't get the science of like what even happens in melancholia. They probably like, broke a bunch it's of rules. Small, then it's big, then yeah, I mean it's it's all like big. I would I'd only imagine like it's somehow chasing the earth, like earth like earth made like a curve and it lost some ground, but then it's like reconnecting like at the end of the orbit, like here, like kind of like one of these things. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, no, I it's, have no idea. I think the whole point is just to like I think he started. Neil he started Tyson. with fuck the earth and then just made that happen. Like Neil, right? I don't think Neil deGrasse Tyson would like this movie all that much. So the calculations, like he's looking at it and he's like, oh shit, it's actually even closer than before. And you just see yeah. him, he doesn't wake his wife. He doesn't, he actually tells his kid that I think he, we've later figured, we don't see this scene, but we, the kid later says that his dad like told him like, uh, sorry, we were wrong, son, and whatever, yeah. whatever. Like, had some sort of conversation with his son, but he could not even look like wake his wife. And he goes to the stables and he steals the pills and takes them all. When really, I mean, I don't know what the pills were. Like, did he have to take them all? I don't know. Um, because like it seemed like it could have been enough for her and her son share but he took them all which is low-key pretty fucked up like if you're gonna kill yourself like that you know give your give your loved ones an option to do the same i guess i don't know i well yeah i mean well that was the whole point I, it's and 
the guy that's the the person that's the most structured and the, seems like they have their most shit together is the one that loses it first you know and then claire who's a little more little less you know about money and about possessions and bullshit she still kind of loses her shit but not to his degree yeah i mean i wouldn't see claire totally lose i mean she's normal average you know yeah she has the normal reaction to the world ending probably um but there is that moment where uh she's telling justine her plans you know it's like well have wine on the terrace and it's like i mean i your plan is shit (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, these are so totally different ways of thinking. And I used to, when I first watched this movie, I totally got it. You know, that was back in 2011. This is literally 10 years later. Um, but I still get it. You know, I mean, I, I, I get what she's thinking. And, and, uh, but it has no regard for her son, you know. And I think that's ultimately where Justine comes through. You know, is is that I, I mean, because yeah. there's so much ceremony and ritual throughout the whole film, and and she's kind of in her own head, and there's nothing like she can even do for her son right now. Mm-hmm. But she's like, let's go build build a cave, build a magic cave, and that's what you see behind me. Oh man, is, yeah. Well, yeah, they they collect sticks. Uh, he uses the dagger to sh- whittle them, and they make this little like teepee looking thing, and they hold hands it is interesting that maybe it was just to comfort the sun but it's almost like it's saying this entire time all these possessions this huge mansion this huge wedding it was never necessary you know like they just the only thing she liked in the world was her sister and her nephew it seemed like and michael to some degree but that's just complicated you know this was enough just literally like a a teepee of sticks was enough the entire time like but there was just so much artificial bullshit and you know it probably she probably would have been a very depressed person anyway even if she wasn't you know married to a super rich person or whatever but it's an out there's an element there i think uh, and did you think at the at the very end when it's all when they're like closing their eyes and the son is too like young and naive to really comprehend what's going on so he's kind of calm and then Justine is super calm and her eyes are wide open Claire is kind of freaking out uh, and like a lot more emotional I kind of thought that Justine as cold and detached as she was the entire like movie and especially this part of the movie when she's like yeah no the world's fucking ending doesn't matter it kind of looked like she still felt like like she didn't cry but almost like she was oh, going yeah, to yeah, cry no, like she doesn't have her. any reaction I mean, she certainly still as anybody would reacting to the situation but not but it's it's more like she's reacting to how the other people feel around her though which is i think which is i think like a relatable thing among like depressed depressed people where a lot of depressed people you know like they see you can see how the complications of things can affect your loved ones and that makes you feel really bad although you won't you'll feel really bad for that person but you know you're hard on yourself if you worry about anybody, it's someone else, honestly, sometimes. I mean, yeah, because she says she's happy for her sister, if I remember. Right? Yeah, she was like, I'm happy you're happy. Uh, so she's she's with the people she loves, and her focus isn't even on the planet crashing into Earth. It's It's on them, and it's kind of, it's just, you know, she is sad that they are scared. I mean, um, the, the kid isn't. The kid seems to buy into it. You know, I mean, it's kind well, of the guys he, with the eyes yeah. closed, but you know, it's you know. it's like a magic cave thing. Though he doesn't buy into like. I think the kid was impressionable. I think the kid was like living in a fantasy, at the end. Yeah, so that's Charlotte why. Gainsburg, uh, yeah, Charlotte Gainsburg. Um, I mean, obviously she. <laughs> and she has well, she she also has a life history, like an adult life history of events, like. Her husband just fucking offed himself. 
uh like her son's gonna die right next to her like it's just a lot it's a lot to take in if you're, if you're... Laughing, doesn't she say something like yeah i mean where will my kid grow up i mean she's kind of like in denial about the situation initially you know yeah like, I mean, it's an irrational thing to say you know where will my kid grow up? i mean obviously he's fucked everything's fucked but like so um, um I... so basically the movie uh ends with claire uh basically dies when it hits like freaking out Justine's really calm and then the kid's calm but he's closing his eyes and thinking about a magic cave and doesn't have doesn't have like 40 years of life experience to be rushing through his head it's just like oh they're more impressionable like that's why kids can bounce back from like certain things I don't know sometimes better than an adult might and then the world ends. It, it, it officially and that's, ends. And that's the end of the film. So with the, the world ending. It's a pretty cut and dry movie, actually, I think. It's Mostly, it's, yeah. it's a it's abstract, but like it's not an overly complicated film. It's really well made. Like we said before, Kirsten Dunst, best she's ever done. By everything that she said, she had a good experience working with Lars von Trier. So yeah, I think she definitely could have deserved a nomination. Honestly, Charlotte Gainsbourg in a lot of movies could get nominated. Uh, you know, would if like maybe they're a little more you know accessible films, but Lars von Trier, well, it is hard. It's understandably hard to digest for a lot of people. But yeah, nothing. I mean, Melancholy is the one that most people have seen. You know, uh, so. Probably the most accessible, like you said, of, of Von Trier's films. Um, I can't think of anything so, I mean, considering Von Trier, so off-putting that people couldn't, you know, yeah. get it. I think uh, that's one thing we mentioned in, in Breaking the Waves is uh, Melancholia might be the easiest film to watch and the world ends oh yeah 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 right yeah no that's and, probably true and yeah, and, so. and, and low-key not in terms of subject matter within the movie but in its in its own way breaking the waves is more optimistic than melancholia you know what i mean yeah at, no at the very end no it's highly yeah. interesting how that works because yeah presentationally it's fucking you know, mel- way more brutal right <laughs> But but melancholia presentationally is probably more palatable. But yes. Breaking the Waves is probably the more optimistic in terms of its overall sentiment. So yeah. and know. when we're talking about optimism in uh, a large actually, it's movie, by default. Yeah, you. I'm sure you're going to say the world, like you said, ends in melancholia. So <laughs> yeah. my fault. I just I, I think <laughs> probably any. Fair movie is probably more optimistic. So, uh, right. But um, out of five stars, mm. I'm gonna give this one four and a half. Uh, so I've actually kind of changed my mind about breaking the waves. I might just outright give that a one and a five. And we haven't reviewed it yet, but Dance in the Dark is probably a five too. But this is definitely a four and a half for me at at least. Uh, what out of five would you give Melancholy? Uh, actually, probably the same. Yeah, four, okay. four and a half. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, four and a half is a pretty nice sweet spot where it's like definitely very good movie. Uh, maybe maybe just like one or two steps away from being like super great. You know what I mean? My uh, plot criticisms would just be like, you know, I, I I'll give you a bunch of slack for like the science behind of it but behind a lot of it but some of it did kind of play in as a plot device just to be like oh see it's actually going away we're gonna build some suspense and then they reeled it back in and i don't know how any of that would would work uh i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna go too strict on that though yeah it's kind of like um, a false hope that they throw at the audience i think they keep them along you know because if you're just like I mean, if you're just like the whole world ends and everybody's fucked from the very start, you know, people are a certain yeah. amount of people are going to probably leave, you know, so. Yeah, that's uh, true. 
and then my other criticism would be like just be a little more de decisive on what direction you're going with her powers like you said a missing scene in the first part or maybe just don't do that i don't you know what i mean like just do a little more or don't do it at I, all. i think they could have easily done a little bit more and it would have just made it uh fleshed yeah, out I mean, more it's something i didn't even notice until this viewing uh, like i totally forgot about that line where she gets the exact count of the beans um it feels like it's a missing scene or something. I mean, because mm -hmm. it's so disposable. I, I mean, yeah, it's just not really necessary. You know, I felt I, I didn't even remember it at all. Like it, um, if you want to cast doubt, I feel like, yeah, you, you probably should build it up a bit more. Um, otherwise, I, I don't think it was really needed. Yeah. So, you know. Other than that, my only thing, maybe dragging it back to a four and a half away from a five would be that, I, you know, I feel like I'm a little more optimistic than Justine in this movie. Just a little bit. Probably most people are. <laughs> yeah, probably most living creatures are more optimistic than Justine in this movie. Great. Uh, um, it, it does what it has to do artistically. It's It speaks to an emotion that everybody has at to some degree. I've thought about this a lot, you know, like, uh, um, so I feel like the final moments probably matter the most, right? So, like, I mean, you look at Game of Thrones, you look at all these shows that have totally fucking, but fucking failed at the final hour. And I feel like life is much the same way, you know, Battlestar Galactica, kind of like, you know, so um, Justine oh. wins if life is that way, right? Like she wins the final hour, and if nothing else preceding it matters, and the final hour is the most definitive, Justine wins. So you know, the world ends with whimper, right? But yeah, it's it's a really good movie. So if you like this movie, you'd like okay. The other Lars von Trier movies aren't more accessible, but this is like a good gateway movie into I, it. I we see Antichrist is the closest uh, that I'd recommend. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, callbacks it, to that, like stylistically, yeah. definitely. Uh, Antichrist definitely has more by way of gore and like that kind of. That yeah, kind in of that gore. way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, was, so yeah. that you can't really be prepared for, but stylistically, that's the most. It's the most similar for sure. It's a good it's a good gateway movie to get into some Lars von Trier because he makes a lot of good movies. Uh complicated director, definitely um uh complicated subject matter, not necessarily something you watch on a Friday night for funsies, but why uh, low key, maybe some maybe some Terrence Malick, uh the tree of uh, life or something. You, you might like the you might like the tree of life. Yeah. It's abstract, it's kind of it's different if you're into that kind of thing. Get into some Terrence Malick, you know? Yeah. Yeah, actually, like, no, that's a good recommendation. I'd say probably the same. I can't really think of anything else that isn't. Yeah, it's, he's so unique, you know? Um, but so we're going to sign off, guys. Click the like button, subscribe, check out Satori Imports. Why the fuck not? They're not asking me to do it. I'm not getting money, but just right. help out a local business. Why not? Although it's ultimately meaningless and everyone you know will love, you know, and love will die and, and everything is ashes. But you know what? The people there are so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So regardless, you know, the earth may uh, be inevitably inevitable to oblivion. Yeah, see, and that song is a lie, right? Because, it's, you know, nothing is forever but the earth and sky. But that's not even true. The earth and sky are impermanent. Nothing lasts for you. It's all dust in the wind. It's all shit. But it's all fucking pointless. Yeah. Uh, on that note, we can still be cool to each other before we die. Happy Earth Day. Yeah. <laughs>